You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, Episode 11, Tamara Jinchik, Fashion Roundtable. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, and in this podcast, I find out why Tamara, an accomplished fashion stylist, created Fashion Roundtable and is secretariat for the all-party parliamentary group for textiles and fashion. And we discuss how we can all get involved to make a difference. With London Fashion Week only a few days away, attracting visitors and business opportunities from all over the world, we have to ask... What will the fashion industry look like post-Brexit? How do we make our fashion industry sustainable? One in 74 people in the UK work in the fashion industry, employing over 800,000. The creative industries contributed a record £91.8 to the UK economy in 2016. The largest component of the creative industries is fashion, which makes over £28 annually for the UK economy. The contribution of the UK creative industries rose more than twice as fast as the average growth rate across the UK economy, outpacing even the purely digital sector. If fashion was the nation state, it would rank as the seventh richest global economy. From the stats, we can see that the UK fashion industry is making money and growing. Amazing. So what's the problem? The problem is, thanks to Brexit, we have a perfect storm coming our way. The main issue is that the fashion industry isn't fully represented within government. Thankfully, Tamara Chinchik founded Fashion Roundtable to make our voices heard. Thank you for joining us today. What's really interesting about your story for me is the change from, I guess, you know, stylist, fashion and now into politics. So I just want to talk a bit, a little bit about your journey, really. Could you could you start off with the whole styling and how you got into that initially, just really briefly? Well, um, I actually fell into styling. Um, I was obsessed with a shoot that I saw in French Vogue by Max Viducal with Nicoletta Santoro styling um, when I was an undergraduate at UCL and I thought it was really beautiful and I realised that I'd always been telling people what to wear and I was reading English and uh, it seemed like an opportunity to do storytelling Um, and actually in terms of politics I was a member of CND at 14 because a film came out called Threads which absolutely had me terrified that we were all going to end up eating cold beans with um, and 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 disintegrate very quickly because it was all it was at the height of the Cold War and the three minute warning and um, so I was already political um, and uh, that didn't really change. I was uh, campaigning against apartheid from about sixteen. Um, I used to go and um, rally on rallies and protests outside South Africa House. Um, so I, I, that was always a thread of my life anyway. Yeah, it's, so it's not, always, it's not it's recent. No. no. Okay. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about the sort of different jobs and different roles you've had within the styling industry? Cause I know you've done celebrities yeah. and you've also done different writing and you do yeah. consultancy and all kinds of different. Elements. So start, I mean, I think the role of a stylist has changed when I started. Uh, um, I think there weren't that many and they were very good. 
they had come out of um, the magazine system, meaning they'd got trained, they'd been in the cupboard, uh, then they'd worked their way up to junior fashion editor and then up to director. And there were only a few freelancers. Um, so and, quite, a, quite a progression route over yeah, time. And, yeah, yeah, and you could make really good money. And I think those ones that were, you know, it's always tantalising, isn't it? I think those ones that were just a bit before me in the mid-90s were making a lot of money. Um, and I was lucky enough to assist some fantastic uh, stylists. One who definitely, although our aesthetic's very different, he had a big influence on me, doesn't style anymore, but if you look her up, she's called Anna Coburn, who worked with David Sims. Uh, she was fantastic. Also, Debbie Mason, who'd been um, fashion director at Elle, who I'm still in touch with. Both of them both don't style anymore. And then there were the people who still are styling who were around then. Um, but at that time, it was uh, shooting on film, using Polaroids, getting, uh, you know, and when I started, that's what it was like. And then digital came in. Um, magazines, I saw a growth from a few independents like The Face and ID and Dazed into loads of independents. It became like, a new one a week um and you could be very cool and not make any money mm. um which I think I, I probably happened to me and I was in lots of magazines and I was very lucky um and I worked with show on shows which I love in Paris and in London and a bit in New York but more more in Paris and London um loved it um I liked being backstage and working with the designer on the creations and on the on the runway show more than being at the shows um and creating a universe and then I ended up I fell into celebrity work I first of all the first person I really did was Natasha who's back for lashes um I worked with her on and off for 10 years and then I worked with Sophie Ellis-Bexter so those have been where I've been commissioned to work with them on editorials and then they've liked me and we've got on and then they've, I've been a repeat booking. Mm -hmm. So it's been a, a kind of organic process of like-minded women. They're, I mean, they could seem quite different and their music's obviously very different, but they're both intelligent, um, smart, engaged women who I get you on with. You want to appear like that yeah. as well yeah. as a form, yeah. yeah. Um, coming on to now, obviously you have started Fashion Roundtable, yeah. um, which I've been to a couple of your events, so thank you for that for... <laughs> basically enlightened me to a lot of things that's going on um for me as someone who's not massively politically engaged wouldn't really know how to wouldn't you know know that we could have any sort of representation and also thinking about the fashion industry as, as a whole you know you just you think oh well my interests are being looked after mm. and actually to to learn that they're not um or not even understood, let alone not looked after, is mm. is something quite eye-opening. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about why you started Fashion Roundtable? Um, because naturally a lot of people think that the British Fashion Council represent us to government, and I know, I know they probably partially do, but they don't entirely. So can you just tell us a little bit about why Fashion Roundtable came about? So... Um in my usual fall into it way, um, I went on, I applied for a mentoring scheme to get women from different backgrounds into frontline politics. It's called the, Fa by, run by the Fabians Society. So it's called, it's got a long name. It's the Fabian Women's Network Mentoring Scheme. And um, I got onto it um, after applying 
um, some people I think have applied lots of times. I was very lucky, but I was also the only person I think to date, they're now on cohort seven, I was cohort five, to ever apply from our industry. Um, and I had huge imposter syndrome. So I met civil rights lawyers and counsellors and campaigners. And there was me saying, oh, I don't really like the colour of this wall. And why, you know, why why are all these women in bodycon and these really uncomfortable shoes when they're in frontline politics? Not the women I was with, but, you know, because I'd never been into Westminster. I mm. literally had this kind of voice saying, this is not for the likes of you. What are you doing here? I really thought that I had, it was a joke. And then um, I got over that because that's just your head uh, filling you Plain with nonsense. Games, yeah. yeah. And I took it very seriously. I went to every meeting and... Uh, I went to every event I could. I learned public speaking. I learned debating, which I hadn't done since school rather badly. And um, I also decided to lead a campaign on um, refugee support um, and uh, through people I've met. And then my mentor, who's called Sharon Hodgson, who's a MP um, and is currently Shadow Public Health, offered me a role in her office for 20 hours a week. Um, and I thought, OK, I've got to take it because those kind of opportunities are golden because you've got access and you, you're going to I'm going to learn at which at my stage of life, you know, I've, I've been a teacher, I've been a lecturer, but it's it's refreshing to also learn. Mm. So it was hard on one level because I'd not been an assistant since about 1990. I don't know when. And, uh, you know, then I was suddenly an assistant. I didn't understand uh PCs. I mean, I'm sure I was quite annoying to them on some levels, but on other levels, I had all this wealth of experience. And um, it became very obvious that I was sitting in very dry meetings talking about Brexit policy. And I looked around and it was quite clear I was probably the only person from the creative industries, let alone fashion. And that gave me the courage to take the plunge and ask um, Hilary Benn, um, who leads the Brexit um, Select Committee, if if I got together a group of fashion stakeholders, um, would he attend? And I organised an event in under a week in about six days. And actually we had about seven MPs and peers and advisors and big and small parts of the industry and across all of the industry involved. And then I organised a second one in conjunction with the BFC for Matt Hancock, who then was Minister for DCMS and now is... Secretary of State for DCMS. Can you just say DCMS? So DCMS changed its name to Digital Culture, Sport and Media. Okay. It, it didn't have digital in. It's now part of its remit. Um, and uh, then I left Westminster in May. I then <laughs> organised a, uh, and led a campaign to save our local library because I didn't want it to be sold off. We won that. And in the, whilst I was doing that, we were doing all the background work. I was drawing in all my contacts from across politics and fashion and economics and people that I didn't know that maybe some of the team knew. And actually, our EU expert, Cold, reached out to me. And I think she's phenomenal, Esther, who's based in Brussels. And we grew the team and then built on the mission statement. And, um, and also Anna, our sustainability expert who's at a centre for sustainable fashion reached out to me um and uh, we worked on it and then we launched on the 21st of november we held a round table in december and one in january 
and then I've got a series of events. And also we took on the what's called in Westminster the Secretariat roles for the all-party parliamentary group for textiles and fashion because the, the group that was running, which was then called Fashion and Textiles, was dormant. So I'd been in Westminster trying desperately to find my people and kept ringing the MP who chaired its office and getting his assistant saying, no, there's no plans to hold any events. And that, to me, seemed ridiculous for an industry that makes £28 billion, um, and employs almost a million people. And um, so, I, that really worried me. So at that point, there was no representation at all in government? The group was dormant okay. and the group was run by um, big bodies. Yeah. But it was, uh, it, they, I, I, I don't know for whatever reasons they weren't. Um, Just not active. I mean, the chair had taken on the role of being chair of the um, Brexit DCMS Select Committee. So I guess that took up a lot of time. But there are ways around that because then what you would do, and I know this from having worked in Westminster, you would then lobby for a, perhaps the vice chair to take up the role of chair, or you would find a new chair. You know, there are, you know, there are secretariats who basically that's their their passion, and they will make sure that that group's not dormant. So, as someone working in fashion, yeah, um, obviously what gets decided at government affects all of us. So how do we um, make sure that our voices are heard or how do we say what we want from government or, I mean, how, how does it work? In well, I mean, the thing is, is that it's an industry where um, the figures out are that in, across the whole of the creative sector, over 90% of us are in either freelance or employed by a company of under 10 so that's that's I mean it might it might arguably be less in fashion because obviously retail's a big part of it, but that sums up the problem. If you've got the car industry, you're dealing with perhaps four or five factories, eight, eight stakeholders. You've got Nissan, Toyota, Honda, Ford, BMW, Mercedes, five, and then a few others. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with a fashion industry where the industry's global. We've just had the men's shows and then couture and then there's the trade shows and, and you know, and then Berlin's coming up and then, uh, you know, just happened. And then we've got, you know, New York, London, Milan and Paris. You, you know, we're always it. on the go. Uh, and then there's the men's and now there's crews and pre So inevitably, every, everybody's very fluid. Plus, they're all known voices. Plus, they're probably... Um, not big p political mm. they'll they'll sign a campaign a change to org and they'll be concerned about human rights understandably and and sustainable fashion understandably um and uh transparency totally understandably but they won't be thinking in terms of um the, the systems and mm. how the the interconnection of politics and policy and what that means because everything starts there and do you think that's because in a creative sense you don't as a creative person you you, you know business is second so you don't think I that, don't think so I think know. there are a lot of businesses you know a lot of sectors in the industry that are very creative and they're much more galvanized the film sector gets tax breaks um you've got the British retail consortium mm-hmm. looking after retailers i mean some retailers are incredibly creative you've got um SME groups you know, you've got um, unions for film. My husband's in film. He's got a union. Yeah, so we don't really have any unions, any bodies or anything that we could all kind of sign up to and, and be represented. No, I've point. reached out to that union. Yeah. I'm yet to hear from them. Okay. So BEC2, which is the film and television union, 
um, has been subsumed by prospect. And I emailed them about three weeks ago because I'd like an agenda. I think there's a need and I think there's a call for it. And I'm not saying that it's like, let's all, you know, let's all go to the Republic in Paris and have a protest about it. Mm. But I think that 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 we're, we're getting to a point where we're in a saturated market. Brexit's on the horizon. Um, we need to understand what sustainability really means because I, I, my argument is it isn't just um, eco-product. It's also what's the long-term longevity of that brand yeah. because you've got too many designers showing for three seasons. Mum's house is mortgaged, you know, and then what? And yeah. then they're bankrupted. And yeah, it's, it's dreadful. And, you know, and actually what you want to see are brands building year on year with a, with a sustainable supply chain and support of, and respect yeah. for the consumer and creating a business that's actually workable. And that's what sustainability mm. should also mean. So all of those needs and people getting paid properly yeah. have to be of value because otherwise it's a it's a it's a, a drag to the bottom because with so many so much competition, no one's safeguarded. Mm. What would you, because I know we've we've talked a lot about Brexit, what would you say are the key issues to Brexit and not only Brexit as, as a part of it, but the fashion industry being sustainable, being strong? Um, so, you know, we've said education's one, movement, free movement of people, visas and so forth, um, and also just talent pool and kind of all these different issues. What would you say? I mean, so key? I was at an event earlier today where... Um, the minister for DCMS spoke, Margot James, and it does seem likely that there will be more restrictions um, from the Home Office on visas. And that worries me because when they say and they do say this, because I've heard this line many times across government, we want to attract the brightest and the best. The lack of understanding of what what that means, what that means yeah. in the creative sector, what a graduate earns. Um, on graduation from a UK college where they've paid the same as a UK resident if they're an EU uh, resident and um, the implications for them going into the business and the fact that they won't come here the fa- and, and study here, the fact that we've got a STEM education agenda coming from our um, Department of Education despite the fact that's in conflict with the industrial strategy by the same government what's a, which so puts creative industries at the heart of the stem and steam so stem talked about that stem is science tech english maths i think it could be engineering and maths but off the top of my head it's english and maths and and uh steam is includes arts basically yes yeah. so at the moment we don't have any kind of inclusive arts or need need to do arts perhaps so there's or? a so there is a, a, a education minister who through i think the four or five recent changes in um secretary of state for education he's been consistent and i think you'll find that him he's called nick gibb he is the, he's the root of this for some reason he doesn't see it so in private education it's very much the arts are included in in state education the decline is off the scale something like 42 percent since since this government's been in power and what does that mean it means that we've got no domicile talent pipeline coming through apart from downton abbey 
And that's why in years to come, you will see more things commissioned about the privileged and you will see more things that are relevant to the to the privileged. And that's not really what this country is great at, that, yes, we should be celebrating the privileged, but we've also got to celebrate our working class mm-hmm. uh, street cultures and our um, I mean, hugely diverse culture from across a huge range of, of of the country and my concern is that you know yet again I heard I've heard it over the last few days there's been a push on women in STEM um, and that is very relevant but let's not forget where the growth is so creative industries have grown four at four times the rate fashion had an 11% growth between 2015 and 2016 I think it was um what does that mean? That means we know where the growth markets are. So why does the government's industrial strategy not align itself with their education policy? It's to me, I'm not that I'm not in that government, but that doesn't seem logical. And it was a series of events like that with Brexit on top, like the cherry that just don't seem to be very logical. Yeah, I I would agree on that as someone that likes order and logic. So if well, <laughs> I'm not necessarily no. I mean, I'm quite in, I'm quite into a bit of creative chaos, but that's not even creative mm. chaos. Do you think it's because the fashion industry and other creative industries are are undervalued as a whole? I completely. Yeah. I think that they think that I think there's an aspir- There's a focus on financial services. There's a focus on cars. There's a focus on insurance. And the reality is, is that I've, I've, I've repeatedly said, if the financial sector leaves, there's your consumer at the high end. The car industry doesn't make half what we make. Let's get the story straight. Um, why are you prioritising the wrong messaging? And why, why, why are the men in suits more important than us? I, don't, I just don't get it. You know, when I say those figures to people, they're shocked. And even within... Even within the creative sector, I think film and music are much more coherent in their lobby and they both make a lot less. I know music's stat off the top of my head. It's 4.4 billion. Okay, we had the Beatles. Okay, we had the Rolling Stones. Okay, we had David Bowie. Okay, we've had Adele. They're all fantastic, but so's our fashion industry and it employs more people and it makes a lot more money. Mm. So maybe it's about our representation it's about representation it's completely about representation they've got a very strong lobby so we need to to then step up our game basically completely otherwise we're obliterated use our sort of creative powers and and make it work um so in terms of the difficulties we if no one's listening to us obviously we need to make them listen somehow what's the best way of doing that to tell if no one if we're not represented, how do we tell people what we need? Well, that's why I set up Fashion yeah. Roundtable. Okay. So. Because I was very um, concerned. And that's, that's what the mentoring scheme taught me. It taught me that's why I've led a campaign on this and then a campaign on that, because it taught me that it's not about somebody else doing it. It's not about being infantilized. It's about stepping up. And it gave me the tools and it gave me the support and it gave me the extra layer of skin that I needed. Um, and then by working in Sharon's office, it gave me that insight cross party. And it's the one thing she always said is to get anything done, you have to work cross party. Mm-hmm. You have to work with uh, people who you might not agree with. And you have to work with people where you can find a common ground. 
because in the common ground will you achieve That's something united, yeah. yeah yeah and uh you know i think that what you know what our fashion industry's been great at actually is rallying behind a cause but we also need to get our facts straight we need to understand who really wants us in the single market and who doesn't and why and not rally behind things because they sound mm. like a cool crazy idea but actually know your facts and that's sometimes harder especially mm. as attention spans have decreased um but i've you know i've turned into someone that's read reports and read um, reviews and sat on round tables with civil servants and with lobbyists and uh, i'm very happy to do it mm-hmm. i think it's difficult to the hardest thing is to distill the information and make it um palatable bite-sized um but i like don't think the inf- i don't think the information spend. about about is brexit anyway? is that palatable i you know i know or consumable th- perhaps i don't i think palatable. it's very worrying yeah. i i don't think that uh i don't think that the situation as i just ex- explained with um the brightest and the best versus the reality of a creative graduate's income or, or even more likely now being freelance and what they would earn mm. ad hoc paid three months later if and when at the whim of a client that's that's our reality but that doesn't mean to say that after they've struggled and pursued it and 10 years time that they wouldn't be on you know a lot more money especially if the support's in place mm. and the understanding of, of the needs of the sector because as i've just said it's for, it's growing at four times mm. other sectors it's where the future is because creative industries are aligned already with tech mm. you can't see tech in isolation mm. we buy clothes on our phone we lead in online sales platforms in this country and they're done very creatively yeah. we are those creative thinkers that lead in all areas so I, I, I think it's a madness not to want to train creative thinking when the robots are coming, AI is coming. You know, those jobs of, you know, those more kind of like scientific math jobs, arguably they're more at risk than mm. creative jobs. Mm. I've heard that argument as well. Yeah. That just needs to be brought home to people such as Nick Gibb. So yeah. if you'd like to write to Nick Gibb, it's very easy to write to him. It's nick.gibb.mp at parliament.uk. And you could, you could outline your concerns about your child or your future for the country of the creative education system i think i think you hit something on the head there which was actually not every job i.e fashion um we all have different ways of creative thinking so an engineer could be taught with creative thinking tools you know design-led tools a um neurosurgeon might have creative thinking how to work around a problem you know it seeps into every other part of the industry well they argue that maths is very important for music yeah um my husband works in film as i've said so actually you know understanding ratios um understanding lighting um yeah you know i've got a degree in english that was for me was storytelling into fashion so i don't think it i don't think anything's isolated yeah yeah, nothing's disconnected, is it? No. Um, could you tell us a bit about sort of your other, one of your many other projects, <laughs> which is um, Glass Sleely, not Glass Slipper? So when I was in, so when I was in Sharon's office, I mean, I'd already had the Brexit horror where I'd woken up at four sobbing hysterically, um, and then um, because I'd been out campaigning for that, and I had 
not had a great feeling about it. Um, and then when um, Hillary didn't win, I remember I was I was going to bed and Amy LeMay, who's the night star for City Hall, was on my mentoring scheme and I texted her, I messaged her going, oh, it's going to be great, we're all going to be in trouser suits tomorrow. And then I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this man has won, this sex mm. pest, this tax dodger, this serial bankrupt, he's won, you know. How did that happen? Well, and also I, was, I, I wasn't angry with her. I was disappointed that she hadn't maybe taken stock of what she was dealing with. I mean, I, I think it's been covered in her book. I was disappointed that they hadn't connected with areas such as the Rust Belt and understood the reasons why they would vote that way. Um, I felt that she'd used tried and tested formulas and we're not in a tried and tested formula reality anymore um anyway I got into Westminster and I was sitting in the office and we were watching it on the tv I was like oh my god this is a disaster for women this is a disaster and I spoke to my colleague and he said you know how much do you connect with your other Fabian cohorts and I said not so much I know mine um so I thought of you know I had this privilege of working in Houses of Parliament and Sharon's very happy to sponsor me for a room. So we did a series of events while I was there and I'm still doing them. And we've got the next on the 27th of February. Um, and it's called Glass Seeding, Not Glass Slipper, the initiative, because it's kind of evident that even though we've got women who are pushing through, those women have had to make larger sacrifices. So you've got women at, at the top of... Um, political parties but what sacrifices have they had to make um to get there uh you we know that the gender pay gap means that a woman from about i'd say i think it's mid-november but it could be earlier yeah they may as well the they're working for free thing, wasn't it we're like working campaign. for free yeah. um compared to a man the uh, woman's wages never reached their uh, pre-childbearing potential after having a child factor in um, childcare costs which are ridiculous factor in the fact that there's not enough um, affordable childcare uh, pre, pre three and after pre three, three kind of yeah, yeah. screwed anyway yeah <laughs> so there's those issues the fact that actually a lot of feminism focuses on white privilege uh, what are we going to do about the fact that people who haven't managed to buy a flat in London probably never will how are we going to support London? London's going to die, uh, as will other big cities, as the same model happens there. So, we, yeah, there's been quite a few events. We did one on um, Islamophobia, and we had Naz Shah, a Baroness Warsi speaking. Um, Shaista Aziz, who's a fantastic fellow mentee from Cohort 6, is chairing the event on the 27th, and she's been leading on intersectional feminist foreign policy um and speaking up i heard her speak at chatham house before christmas she's brilliant so she's been a journalist she went for the bbc and writes for the guardian um she's standing as a counselor in oxford and she's on it and i've learned a lot from her um and i think it's always about learning so whilst i want to share my learning i know expert at everything but uh i want to share the space because it's it's the same as as uh, your concerns about sustainable fashion, it's only by building awareness and by communicating and supporting that we're actually ever, all of us, going to create better business models. Mm -hmm.
because the old school business models aren't working. No, I mean, and also, as we've talked about, they're all interlinked. So, yeah. you know, you can't have a sustainable garment without a sustainable business, which means, you know, you need to get a mortgage or however yeah. you're paying for that yeah. running of that business. Yeah. So it is completely all interlinked. Um, how do we... How do we engage? What's the best thing that we can do? Attend the roundtable events? You know, so I inform ourselves. Yeah, I, I mean, we well, we've got the survey that's on the website that I need information very yeah. soon because I've got to I've got to organise the white paper because the trade talks start next week. So what's a white paper? And what's uh, a it's a paper into government. Okay. Um, so the survey is we wrote it before we launched, and it's it. I mean, it'll take you twenty minutes. It's not a five second wonder, but. Um, I'd argue it's well spent 20 minutes. I have done it. <laughs> Thank you. <Yep. laughs> uh, so it's a series of concerns and then we can put that into data. I'm already sitting okay. on a... I'm sitting so with... So the more, more you can get. Yeah, so otherwise it's yeah. going to be five people. It's, yep. it's already more than five, but yep. I mean, I need everybody who, who can to take the time to input onto that from across the industry. Um, I'm sitting on a round table with the Department of International Trade on the 7th, using some of that data. Because, uh, I mean, we seem I'm to I'm be... doing a series of, of those kind of things where me or someone with me is going out to meet uh, either policy experts in, in, in civil service or um, also we're doing um, events ourselves. And, I, I mean, we've started with no budget... So I've paid for it all from styling, which is a bit of a joke. But that's how it started. But I also wanted to create the space because I had it all in my head and I was quite aware of the issues. And I was quite aware that we have we have bodies, but as a freelance stylist, they didn't represent me. They didn't represent startup brands. They didn't represent photographers, agents, models, model agencies, production, uh, off-schedule shows somebody designing in the middle of scotland a fabulous cashmere brand i've been in touch with them i you know like somebody doing sussex tweed none of it you know uh, arguably shoes jewelry mm. so it became like uh, there's all the freelancers all the growing uh like people doing what you're doing but also fashion film so uh there's 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 a legion of uh voices that need to feel that they're part of the space so I haven't made it sponsorship because I didn't think that that would create um, engagement and I wanted to just make it open and and inclusive Um, and we're working on the heinous business plan at the moment and I'm looking at strategies of how to up our political intelligence because we do that at the moment once a month as a taster Um, but if I can if, if there's ways to build up that to build up that knowledge because I think knowledge is power. I don't think ignorance is bliss. I think it's hideous. I think that's why lots of people feel so disenfranchised. Um, and um, and I and then so and then we want to build up the events um, and reach out to more people mm-hmm. and sort of nationals and all sorts yeah, of things. Nationals, yeah. larger yeah. events. I I would like to by in a in a couple of years have festivals of thought and fashion. Mm. So not only can we offer the the talking which can be quite heavy going but also we've got experts who can actually mentor brands because that's what i've been doing for 20 years anyway yeah okay so best thing for us to do is look on fashion roundtable yeah. website which i'll put obviously also i'd just like to say as well that our 
we've not just we are we have done two on brexit because of the trade negotiations and we will have to come back to brexit and with the all-party group we're going to have to come back to brexit but we are also through fashion roundtable we're doing um roundtables about things that i don't think have been spoken about before so we are talking about ethnic representation in the industry we are talking about body size we are talking about geopolitics and sustainable fashion um, that's for the Rat Fashion Roundtable for the what we call the APPG, the, the the Textiles and Fashion APPG in Westminster. We're doing a, a, a roundtable on um, trade with China. Uh, Dr. Lisa Cameron, who's the chair of the um, All Party Group, wants to do an event around um, best designers or best uh, brands from each constituency. Um, I want to do something that's like a best of britain um to celebrate our, our our incredible talent across the country and then um we're also looking at uh, there's a couple of other events that we're looking at we are going to have to talk about brexit there as well i mean i do feel like Texit at the moment because it's just brexit 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 but i i'm worried that if you google fashion and brexit it's primarily my name that comes up and i think that's ridiculous because I just don't get why a twenty-eight billion pound industry is not as worried as I am, and mm. have been for about eighteen months. You know, the the you know the 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 letter that Esther and Nav and Swati from our team, who are the politics and the economics expert, put together, which we've sent out and is also on our website to send out to MPs, is a really powerful lobbying tool because it's a soft lobby. An MP is. Um, recommended to reply to a constituent's needs so we can all um, yeah i've done it i mean i know my my mp is very anti-brexit and didn't didn't um uh, she didn't go with the three-line whip and she voted against triggering article 50 um and and, uh, you know that's also the issue is that mps were whipped so if they were in a shadow or a frontline position they would lose that role if they voted against mm. the whip. That's what that means. That means if you are the education minister, you can't vote against the whip or you're demoted. So even in politics, it's political. Well, it's also it's a collective. No so you have to change vote. the collective thought. Yeah. You have It's like trends. It's exactly the same as a trend, I think, which is probably a very fashion way of looking at it. But, you know, it's the same in campaigning and it's the same in politics. OK, you start off as the outsider, you gather voices and you make your, your you make the case. Loudest, yeah. 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 OK. Um, so we're all going to go on Fashion Roundtable. Please. We're going to send um, a letter to our MP from Downloaded that we can get yeah, on your website. It's very easy. Well. It takes yeah. two minutes. And, and we fact checked it. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, also look out for all the different events and get involved and and we want to grow this as well i mean you know i'm i'm putting a lot of time as as are the team um we need to grow this because this need then there needs to be a more insightful a more engaged and a more realistic representation of the industry but also we need to you know support businesses and startups and creatives with ways that will long uh, support long-term growth Mm. which is why we want to bring in the mentoring aspect and the support because I think some it's quite clear that a lot of brands are getting the wrong advice. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much. You're really welcome. Thank you. Informed, passionate, revolutionary. 
Tamara is leading the way to making change where it matters, helping us to create a sustainable fashion industry. Together, we can take a stand and make sure our government don't make fashion history. Be sure to head to fashionroundtable.co.uk and get involved. Till next time, join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified of when new episodes are released. And if you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us in iTunes as it helps other people like you to find us and spread the word. Thank you.